Well, it was only a few extra hours of grinding, but you finally gathered enough titanite shards to ascend your sword, you've carefully chosen your equipment, and now you think you've got the right balance of defence and weight. Restoring your humanity, you make the sprint from the bonfire, hoping, praying nobody invades, and you've made it. One more deep breath, and you step through the fog into the Anor Londo Cathedral. Immediately, Smell swings his hammer, you roll to the left, dodging the attack, and Ornstein jabs his spear through you. You died. You turn off the game and play episode 2 of Video Game Showtime. Welcome back to Video Game Showtime, the only podcast about people who talk about video games. In this episode, we're going to be talking about Borderland 3, aesthetics in gaming, and we're going to play a game of Bosses to Bosses. My name is Sam. Joining me are Alec. Hello. Sarah. Hey. And Michael. Hey, guys. How are we all doing? Um, pretty okay. Pretty okay. Pretty okay. What are you playing, guys? Recently, I actually just finished the point-and-click adventure game called Thimbleweed Park. Uh, It's a really fun game, actually. I have some minor complaints with just some uh, slight glitches and some slight complications for when you're trying to pick up items and stuff like that, but overall, the game's really enjoyable. Uh, you have goofy characters, and you are in a small town with almost some Twin Peak-esque vibes. Uh, you're trying to solve a murder as um, you start out as playing as two federal agents, and it's got all the classic elements of a traditional point-and-click adventure from the early thousands, late 90s era. The ending is really fun. I don't want to spoil that, but if you do decide to go and play Thimbleweed Park, I beg of you, do not look up anything beforehand. Go into the game as pure blind as possible. Uh, It is best experience that way, because that's what I did myself, and I would have regretted anything if I had looked anything up. It's not too long, uh, the puzzles are fun, it's just a really... uh, I also recently finished Tacoma, which is a very short, basically walking simulator game. It's good. It's very good if you're the type of person who likes to just explore stories. It's a very human story. Uh, I have some minor complaints about the story, but those are spoilers, so I can't really get into that. What sort of um, setting is it? Uh, It is actually set in space. You are a contract worker to go and retrieve an AI system from... The Tacoma, which is a spaceship. Uh, while you're walking through there, you basically retrieve past records of what happened to the crew on there, and you unravel the story as you go on. And it's actually a really well-told story, how you kind of unravel things and get to learn about the different crew members, the different relationships they have with each other. The voice acting is absolutely excellent, and 
it's a fun game. Uh, if you if you are into walking simulators, you know, it's not for everyone because it is a very short game. It took me probably about three hours to get through the entire thing. And I am also the type of person who pokes into every single corner and reads every single journal. So I'd recommend it if you like that. Sounds interesting. Sounds a bit like um, 2001 A Space Odyssey. Is that not quite? No. It's this story is more focused on the human element. It's more focused on the relationships of the crew members, how they interact with each other and people with um, people in the outside world as well. There are families down on Earth and how they kind of view their relationship with their families, despite being away from them for so long in space and actually pretty wholesome. If you know you like wholesome games like me just want something to walk through. It's good. Alec, if you've been playing more Splatoon 2? I have been playing more Splatoon 2. I really, really love this game. It is, and this will be the last week I talk about it, and I do have, I'm not going to talk about it a whole lot right now because we are going to talk about aesthetics and games, and Splatoon 2 is definitely one of the best examples of aesthetic and gaming being top-notch quality. The movement in the game might be the biggest surprise to me, and the way that it works with the Switch motion control is so much better than I thought. It's really intuitive, and it only took me a couple of matches to start to understand it, and it's kind of second nature now. The other part of it is it's not a platformer, but it feels crisp like a platform movement in the way that you can just quickly move throughout the game you can quickly move throughout the maps it, it allows you a freedom of movement and that really aligns with the goal of having to paint everything as quick as possible because the matches are only four or five minutes long you don't have a whole lot of time to come back and really the last 30 seconds of a game can influence the outcome so yeah so it's a lot of fun uh it's fast paced and even the single player is with a whole bunch of stuff to collect is really good yeah i think um mark brown has an episode of game makers toolkit which is about how um nintendo designs their games around making the characters feel fun and building all the mechanics around how your character because it moves and he talks about um, laying down ink, swimming through ink, getting stuck in other players' ink and how it, how it all um, helps you move and how it's fun to um, move as those characters. And Splatoon, I played the Wii U version. Splatoon is just so fun to just swim around in ink and plot down paths and get to new locations. Just to move your character around is really, really fun. And that's before you start putting the actual game in there. It's fun to just be a kid and then be a squid. I would play Splatoon if it wasn't a shooter and if it was just a platformer and you just had to use ink to move about a platform. That would be fun in itself. Mike, what have you been playing? Well, I've been really boring because I moved recently and I still haven't set up my TV because I haven't set up the TV stand and I only want to play games on the TV mostly, but I have been playing Super um, yeah, su- yeah, Super Smash Brothers Ultimate World of Light a little bit, just running through it as Kirby at the moment on 
I'm I'm I feel good enough at this now that I'm in normal mode, which is nice. But it's I'm finding it challenging at times. Like it's really hard some of the some of the fights you end up being in. But I I I don't know. I'm I'm getting better at Smash Brothers because of this experience, and so I have World of Light to thank for that. Uh, other than that, Hollow Knight is my other big long game that I'm still playing but have not had a chance to touch base with because I want to play it on the TV at night. It's so much better that way. And when you play it in handheld mode, it's just not nearly as immersive. So even though even though the Switch is very versatile, I just don't want to I don't want to have a lesser experience for games like Hollow Knight, which really take advantage of the night. <laughs> Big screens, I think, even as well. So, I don't know, just been boring these last two weeks. I know what you mean. I really need to buy an HDMI switcher because um, I've started Super Mario Odyssey this week and I've only played it in handheld mode, which has been a little annoying. I just need to switch the hdmi cable around at the back of a tv but i i can't be bothered to do that when the switch works without it i know it'd be so much better on the big screen but the xbox 360 is connected at the moment the switch will just have to wait so i've yeah i've started super mario odyssey i really like it i've got up to the metro kingdom and my favorite bit so far is the little accordion wiggler guys they're really cute and they're really fun to stretch around us but mostly I've been finishing off Burnout Paradise. It's so good. I, I said it was in... No, that was the episode zero. Burnout Paradise is really good, really fun. I've mostly been playing the multiplayer component recently, trying to wrap up those co-op challenges. It's a little frustrating now that there's um, not as active a user base. It's still decent. Um, it was a game with gold so it's got a decent player base but not quite big enough that you can't avoid some griefers unfortunately who just won't help you <laughs> in these co-op challenges that said it is really fun when you get a nice group working together it feels very um journey-esque where we're not communicating with the microphone but we're still trying to teach each other how to do stuff perform the stunts it's a really fun experience and i hope we get something else like it so moving on, our big story this week. Mike, take it away. Sure. So this week, and really the last two weeks, we have seen an interesting controversy that is also the continuation of a wider controversy. So I believe it was over a week ago now when PAX East started. And there was a big announcement at PAX East, and that was the release of Borderlands 3. Now, this press conference where they were showing this trailer off for the first time went rather roughly because they couldn't get the trailer to play. And so while they were trying for, I think it was over 10 minutes, it might have been even as high as 20, while they were waiting to get this video to play, you could see Randy Pitchford, the, the CEO or otherwise leader of Gear, Gearbox, the developer of Borderlands 3, getting visibly angry while also trying to keep the crowd busy by, of all things, performing magic tricks. And it was hilarious, a, a bit of a dumpster fire, but overall when the trailer played, it turned out okay. 
with that as the background, there were growing concerns when Randy Pitchford followed up this occasion with some mysterious tweets on April 1st is when this was. So April Fool's Day, he starts talking about how Take Two has exclusive publishing rights for Borderlands 3, and they make all the decisions regarding its pricing, distribution, and partnerships with platforms. And so this got people scared that Borderlands 3 is probably going to be another Epic Game, Epic Game Store exclusive. And we couldn't tell if this was really the case or not, because again, these tweets were taking place on April 1st. But soon after, I believe it was April 3rd, they did indeed announce that this is an Epic Game Store exclusive, I believe for six months. And this upset people greatly because we've already, well, maybe not myself, but the wider gaming community has been very upset about Epic Game Store buying up exclusivity rights to a lot of well-known games, some of which were even so far as announced for Steam, but they pulled Steam support because Epic basically bought exclusivity, and Epic is paying these developers a large amount of money in order to get these exclusives, basically above the guaranteed profit they would otherwise make is what the rumor is. So this had already happened with a number of games, most famously Metro Exodus, and now it's happening to Borderlands 3, this beloved series that everybody loves. Now we're in this situation where we're upset with Randy for, for blaming the publisher when he purportedly had much more to do with it and is probably enjoying a good payout from this deal. We're upset with Epic Game Stories for their practice of buying exclusivity rights we're upset with take two interactive and all around the the gaming community is just up in arms about this whole epic game store controversy especially when it affects games that most people want to play which borderlands 3 is seemingly one of those games i wanted to know in light of this controversy what everybody thought here about about the fact that Epic Games has been buying up exclusivity rights. How does that make you feel for those of you who have played the Borderlands series? How does it make you feel that if you want to play it on PC right now for the next about six months, you have to buy it through the Epic Game Store? Let's talk about it. It's really strange, right? That such a big game is exclusive. I know it's not strange. It just feels weird to me that this is happening on PC. I don't like giving my personal information to companies if I can help it. Um, it's not, And I know that Epic Games Store has been criticized for security flaws. I'm just very cautious and confused why developers who don't need exclusivity, who don't need that extra cut of money, are doing it anyway. We've got past, we've got past this mostly on... Xbox, PlayStation. We've got um, console exclusives, which are normally financed by Sony or Microsoft, but we don't see the third-party exclusives like we used to, or even the timed exclusives. We very rarely get those anymore. It's very strange that on the open platform that is PC that we're now seeing this on storefronts. And one thing I should mention is Epic Games Store's whole 
pitch to developers is that they get a larger cut of the profits, so about 88%. And that's regardless of whether they use the Unreal Engine, which Epic Games also develops, or Unity or any other engine, it doesn't matter. As long as you host your game on Epic Game Store's storefront, you're going to get 88% of that cut. In addition to just buying these games exclusivity rights for six months or a year, they're also getting a bigger cut that helps maximize profits. And one of the theories going around uh, about this that I believe Tim Sweeney, the CEO of Epic, has even stated himself is that they're hoping that these savings that they're giving to the developer gets passed down to the customer, which usually does not happen. So just just with that, and it so far has not happened in this case either, but that was the pitch, that this was supposed to be a harbinger of good news in the PC gaming world against the mighty Valve, which of course has... Uh, a very large present in this large presence in this space. So it might just be me and that I don't play PC games a whole lot relatively compared to how much I play on other consoles, primarily Nintendo stuff. But I'm still having a hard time feeling any emotion towards this one way or another. It's I'm kind of ambivalent ambivalent towards Epic Store, I kind of like Epic Store because they've given me several free games that I'm going to play through. And I don't mind. I actually, I think it's a good thing that the developers are getting more of a cut. You know, that probably won't get passed down to the customer, but at least it's more money in the developer's hands. Yeah, I'm still having a hard time feeling that this is a bad thing or a good thing it's just a thing in another stage of pc gaming that we're going through and ultimately to me as long as the game plays good i don't there's not that many issues i see and as long as as long as epic's customer support is on par with valves which i've never had to deal with either yet yeah, I don't really see a problem in this whole thing. I'm kind of with Sam here on this one. It's just weird. The only reason I'm not a big fan of this is because of Epic's security flaws and stuff like that. Or else, you know, I'd be fine with it, probably, because it's another storefront. It's not like having to buy another um, entire system to have an exclusive game, like for, you know, Sony or Microsoft. So in terms of that, I don't think it's that much of a deal. Like, I don't think it's that big, but this is also very weird because we've really never seen exclusivity like this on PC, on terms of uh, online storefronts and stuff like that. It's just a little weird. Yeah, you know, the what happened before Epic Game Store was around was Steam was basically the best storefront for most scenarios uh, in which developers wanted to release a game on PC. They just used Steam, and sometimes exclusively. So it was a passive exclusivity. Steam did nothing actively to encourage this, uh, but they did <laughs> become the de facto platform for PC gaming. 
And so that is getting threatened right now. So I think there are some people who are just upset about that because they really like Steam and they don't want to have to deal with multiple launchers. But at the same time, that's already been a reality of the PC gaming space because Ubisoft has Uplay. EA Games has Origin. There's GOG has their own launcher as well for their DRM-free games. And... Epic already had the Epic Games launcher for Fortnite and their other various titles. So this has already been happening. Minecraft also basically has its own launcher. And so it doesn't really upset me in that respect. The fact that you need one more piece of software to run a certain segment of your overall software library is entirely unsurprising, especially in this era. I think that's what things are moving towards anyways. And I don't even think that that's necessarily anti-consumer, which some people think it is. But I don't think it's anti-consumer because it does present another storefront that can compete with with Steam, and that's always good. What I hear from people who do not like the situation is that they do not like how Epic Games is doing it. So they would much rather Epic implement really nice features into the storefront because right now it's very bare bones or build up an amazing library and just kind of achieve a passive exclusivity rather than an active one where they're just buying developers off so the fact that their uh, approach is the way it is is what's really upsetting a lot of people I don't know if there's any resolution to that so much, but overall I'm also on the side of I actually don't mind this because I like the Epic Games launcher myself. I do like getting free games, which they've been doing very well because they're curated, They, as in they've chosen specifically very nice, well-made games to give away every two weeks, and that's really nice. It's a great way to entice customers, so overall I'm okay with this. I just wish more people could be happy. <laughs> That's all. It, it's it's always hard to be a PC gamer because it's a very vitriolic platform as a whole to play on. It's hard to <laughs> keep everyone happy. So it'll be interesting to see how over time Epic Game Store improves and how people's attitudes towards it change. I suspect the attitudes will change along with the growing library people have on that platform instead. It surprises me in 2019 that developers aren't just selling their games directly from their own websites. I know Borderlands 3 is a big game, it's going to take up a massive, um, a lot of bandwidth selling these big EXE packages, but Borderlands 3 surely is big enough that they can just say, make it exclusive to borderlands3.com. If they want a that bigger developer port percentage, then skip the middleman entirely. Just set it directly. Yeah, I totally agree. I don't know all the specifics about why people opt to go for a platform like Steam. I mean, one thing is just discoverability. It's easier to find games when there's a storefront for it versus your own website and having to do all the advertising yourself uh, versus just by virtue of being listed in a store, having the benefits of that advertising. Of course, Steam also has features, social features, controller support features, things of that nature that make games better to play on that platform. But honestly, those are kind of soft attributes that I don't think have to make or break 
using playing that game at all and i would honestly rather buy it directly from the developer myself i i'm not quite certain why those are just my best guesses one thing on the epic store uh that i like is usually companies make you input a credit card to even claim their free games i'm trying to think of an example right now i think xbox you have to have gold well games with gold obviously there's another instance though well anyways you don't have to enter a credit card on epic to purchase the free games which is really nice and that's not a common practice also i just went to the pre-purchase screen for borderlands 3 i'm not pre-purchasing it so don't yell at me my pc can't run this but um you don't have to save a credit card and you can also use paypal so unless they are saving your credit card even when you check the box that says make this a one-time payment um i don't think the security concerns obviously any security concerns are going to be an issue but that is nice to be able to not save your credit card onto a store. For example, I know Nintendo, you have to have a credit card saved on file at all time after you purchase anything online. Yeah, the Nintendo are weird, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Nintendo is usually very unique in all the things they do. I I know the security concerns surrounding the Epic Games Store actually has to do with just general account security. So, for instance, I know there's a very easy method for circumventing their two-factor authentication system. And I forget how it goes exactly, but basically you can work around their 2FA really easily and basically gain access to a person's account. So that, that could have some some pretty some pretty bad effects if if a person's library were getting larger and i don't know if these issues have been resolved at all i do know that implementing security features is actually way harder than you would think so i it doesn't surprise me that that's one area where they're fumbling because the epic games are kind of released quickly and it, it just seems like there's a lot of aspects of it that are that have made it seem very half-baked so for instance there's not full dlc support for many of the games on the platform that have dlc there's not really any mod support for non-epic games uh, all of epic's own games they do have mod support on the epic game store and then also there's just other things like having more universal controller controller support so right now, the only controllers you can use is whatever the developer decided to support. And on Steam, it doesn't even matter because Steam knows how to make controllers work for games that the controller isn't compatible with. And there's just a bunch of stuff like that where people are saying it's just under-featured. I'm tired of talking about games I want to play a game. Game for me? Yes, I have. It's not very original, though. 
It is bosses to bosses. Have you ever played apples to apple? Yes, I love it. Okay, yes. good. It's one of my favorite games. So that is basically what we are doing this week. This time, though, it's with bad guys. So just to explain for anybody who may not have played apples to apples, and if you haven't, you really should, what, we're, what I have done is I've created a list of bosses or bad guys. There are some outliers in there that I hope people get. And I'm going to use a randomizer. And basically, I'm going to give everybody five different cards. I'll say the cards. And the only difference between this, because we're doing it uh, in podcast style compared to playing it, is when you typically play apples to apples, you don't know the cards that other people have. I then also have a randomizer that will generate an adjective. We'll go around, and one person is the judge, and they have the adjective. The other people submit out of their five bosses that they have, they will submit one as the best fit for that adjective. And you can win based on either being the the worst. Basically, you try to be funny, and you win because you make everybody else laugh, or you actually fit the adjective. Pull up the randomizer. Sam, you have blooper gooper from Super Mario's Sunshine. You have Electronic Arts, the big bad overlord we all need to hate. Knuckles, King K. Rule, and Majora from Majora's Mask. Sarah, you have a Stormtrooper, Big Boo, Dracula from Castlevania, Ultros from Final Fantasy VI, and Blooper Gooper. How did that randomize? Well, the randomizer broke. Michael, you have the Reapers from Mass Effect. You have Cortana from Halo or the Hate It AI voice from Microsoft. Bowser Jr., Palpentine or Dark Lord Sidious from Star Wars, and Dr. Eggman. And then I have Ridley from the Metroid series. GLaDOS, Psychomantis from Metal Gear, Giovanni from Pokemon, or the Moblin from the Legend of Zelda series. Alright, so we are going to come up with ad- adjectives. The first per- Who wants to be judge first? Anybody want to volunteer? I'm I'll judge. Volunteer. Oh. Sarah's judge. Awesome. Healthy. The healthiest boss <laughs> okay Look at my my bosses I guess I would go knuckles knuckles is healthy so long as it's not sonic boom knuckles where we got big and put on a few stone um knuckles he can he's an echidna he can fly around he's always punching the air for some reason he's always meditating which he's got a healthy mind as well as a healthy body i reckon i reckon knuckles is my healthiest boss i'm gonna go with glados everybody else is not healthy glados is the only ai that is completely healthy and normal are you are you sure about that? I do not agree. At if all. if we're going from Glados, we're we're looking at this from Glados's uh, perspective. 
because GLaDOS is a psychopathic AI exactly. trying to murder exactly. test subjects. Exactly. GLaDOS is the only one that's correct here. And if you don't pick GLaDOS as the winner, she will murder you. That's very comforting. But I have to say, the Reapers from Mass Effect, they look super healthy if you look at pictures of them on Imager. They're very good-looking, <laughs> or I Imager or Google Images, either one. You look at these pictures, these are very healthy-looking alien creatures, and, I mean, they're deadly and all that good stuff, but I don't know, In especially in comparison to my other options, I really have to have to go with the Reapers on this one. All right, as judge, I I have to go with Knuckles. I mean, Knuckles at least looks normal. I'm sorry, the Reapers, I mean, I guess they look healthy to someone. Like, <laughs> um, you should have gone with Bowser Jr. for healthy, because as we've seen from the parental guidelines video that Nintendo put out, Bowser knows how to limit his game time. So he's not playing too much video games every day, which is a problem most kids struggle with. Oh. But not Bowser That's Jr. a way better idea than what I came up with. <laughs> wow, maybe you should like play this game for me and I'll just like watch. Yeah, I gotta I gotta go with Knuckles for round one. Who's next, Judge? I'll look at I'm looking at our uh, Discord voice channel and we'll just go up from Sarah, so Sam. Cool. And your word is stunning. Stunning. Um, I gotta go with Dracula. Have you seen Dracula? That vampire I don't know. He's got the vampire looks. He's got the long, you know, the flowing, fabulous, over the top extravagant looks he's he's pretty stunning of a boss he definitely has his upkeep he, he's got his upkeep game on top uh and that's my argument dracula is a stunning vampire okay ridley i mean first of all we're all so enamored with how stunning ridley is we wanted him in smash brothers then in metroid prime if you've played metroid prime like one of the big scenes it all involves Ridley, so I'm going to go with Ridley here. I think the obvious choice here is Dr. Eggman, and how can you deny the gloriousness of this guy's mustache? It's just so bushy and huge and beautiful and glorious, and anyone who aspires to have a mustache really should be looking to this guy for encouragement and, I don't know, all things inspiration. So, Dr. Eggman is a clear, stunning, spectacular, glorious figure in the mustache. I'm going to have to agree with that one. Dr. Eggman's got a mustache that rivals Mario's for most iconic video game mustache. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's beautiful. Beat Mario at his own game. I love it. I'm going with Dr. Eggman. Oh. Yes! I knew I would come out on top the second round. After a spectacular failure the first round. Michael, you are the judge, and your word is lovable. <laughs> Excellent. This is perfect for me. Alright, I'm going to throw in first Giovanni. I mean, he's kind of lovable. He keeps coming back. He is... Um, Team Team Rocket loves him. All his bad guys love him, and I think Pokemon Company loves him because, as I said, he's constantly coming back and he just can't die. 
I don't know if the Pokemon world would be the same without Giovanni. I gotta go with King Boo. He is ultimately kind of harmless. I mean, they're shy. When you look them in the eyes, they blush and they get all shy and scared, and it's really cute. Big Boo is just a big softy, and I mean, he's a ghost for crying out loud. He's already had his hard times and stuff. Let let the Big Boo live. He's very lovable. Um, who doesn't love Boos? They're great. I love them. You might expect me to say King K. Rool because you know how much I love big stupid boys. But I'm going to play Electronic Arts because who, honestly, who else do you love to hate more than Electronic Arts? Wow, this is a tough choice. I I think I'm going to have to go with Electronic Arts, though. I love King Boo and Giovanni. Electronic Arts is indeed the entity that you love to hate. And so, in, a, in that weird sort of way, Electronic Arts is lovable. So, congratulations, Sam. That's, that's fair. <laughs> okay, let's go to the next round. So, this time I will be judge, and the word is <laughs> peer. Peer? P-U-R-E? P- yeah, P-U-R-E. Mm. Mm. Uh, you know what? I'm gonna throw in my hat and say, uh, a stormtrooper, despite sometimes their ill intentions, are pretty pure. They don't really know what they're doing. They can't even, you know, shoot straight. They can't hit their targets. And some of them might even regret working for the Empire afterwards. We don't really know. Stormtroopers are pretty pure. They try their hardest, and that's all they know how to do. And I think those, in and of itself, those are pretty pure intentions. I'm trying to remember if I've done Cortana already. I don't think I have, and that's that's what I'm leaning on here, because Cortana is just so pure. It, there's nothing to Cortana except for the voice alone. Everything else is is unnecessary t- to be what Cortana is. Cortana is nothing but a voice who helps you along the way through life, through your ups and downs, and I, for one, am happy that Cortana is there for me. <laughs> so lame. Um, I know. You, you've never owned a Windows phone. <laughs> it's on Windows 10, though, but... She's annoying. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, I have no context. I've used Cortana like once. <laughs> so I was really thinking of Siri there. I guess I'll go with Majora as a pure incarnation of evil, but it doesn't really I'm I'm using pure as a as a adverb there, I think, rather than a adjective. So I don't think I'm playing Majora very well. Knuckles would have been my best choice, but I've used that card, so I'm going to go with Majora. Mm. I mean, yeah, Cortana, Cortana is is not pure at all. <laughs> she is. I, I could talk a lot about uh, her faults and that she will, I can say, hey, Cortana, and she won't do exactly what I say. Uh, Stormtroopers... They tr- they try. Storm tr- they try very hard. I 
I gotta give it to the stormtroopers. I love Star Wars, and the Empire did nothing wrong, and they're just trying to keep galactic peace because that's what they've been told to do, and the rebels are really the bad guys. Wow, this is like the worst round to use Cortana. <laughs> I didn't know what I was dealing with when I suggested Cortana. Ah. Sarah, you are judge next. All right. Um, the next word is gonna be strange. I'm gonna throw in psychomantis because psychomantis is definitely strange. Super extra, and he can read your GameCube memory card. And he can make your controller rumble. That too, yeah. He can he messes with the player. So yeah, Psychomantis is strange. So what's the deal with Emperor Palpatine? I don't even understand what's going on with this guy. He's just got he seems to have a lot of issues. He seems very power hungry and sneaky and he's got a lot of bad plans going on and then for some reason he can shoot lightning out of his hands. Like I don't know what is up with this guy, but he strikes me as quite a bit strange of a fellow. And so I have to say, this Emperor Palpatine, he's one of the strangest dudes I've ever, ever crossed paths with. King K. Rool looks weird. He moves weird. In one game, he's like a sea captain. The next day, he's a game he's a scientist thing. And then... He's sitting on his chair stroking a little crocodile in Donkey Kong 64 for most of the game. And then when you finally meet him, he's in some little pants and boxing gloves ready to... <laughs> in a wrestling ring with you. I'm not quite sure what his motivations are. I didn't know crocodiles liked bananas so much. I don't understand why he, he hates the Kong so much, but I'm glad he does. I love King K. Rool. But I don't know why. <laughs> I... Ah, oh, dang it. Okay, so... Psychomantis, yeah. Strange dude got some cool abilities, if you want to call them that. Um, I mean, he's literally got Psycho in his name. Palpatine, I think he's only strange if you have not heard the tragedy of Darth Plagueis the Wise. But fair shot, I mean, he's... He's definitely got something strange. But I ultimately have to give it to King K. Rule, the big, buff, anthropomorphic... I don't know. Why does he like bananas? I... <laughs> I'm gonna think about that for the rest of the day. Why does he want a horde of bananas? <laughs> I, I gotta give it to King K. Rule. Yes. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. It was a fun game. in gaming what have you got for us all right i i love aesthetics uh if you know me i dabble in a little bit of art on the side in my free time 
And I just really enjoy exploring different art styles in games. Especially games like, you know, Splatoon. You've got Borderlands with the striking uh, cel-shaded and lined characters despite being semi-realistic. But just cartoony enough, you have Kirby's Dreamland 3, which the entire game looks like it was drawn out in colored pencil. You've got the Paper Mario games, which, well, everything is, you know, papers and crafting stuff. Uh, you have a bunch of different Yoshi games, which take wildly different aesthetics from Yoshi's Island with the really cute, almost crayon drawing-like atmosphere. And then you have, uh, recently, Yoshi's Crafted World. And before that, you know, you had Yoshi's Wooly World, where everything was yarn. To go a little bit away from that, you also have a game like Oxenfree, which the entire soundtrack was actually inspired by a kind of niche, weird genre called Vaporwave. And then to cap it off, one uh, another game is Cuphead, which, you know, took the entire stylization of hand-drawn cartoons. Fantastic art style, music to go with it, and everything. So do you guys find yourself drawn to games that have these super unique aesthetics that are just kind of dropped into the game world? I do, actually. For me, art style is probably the primary draw to any given game. And usually I have an attraction to any sort of game that tries a different or more unique art style relative to the rest of the games uh, on a platform or in a generation. My consciousness to different art styles really started when Wind Waker was coming out and people were reacting so negatively to it, saying, oh, it's, it's going to be a kid's game. It's not going to be a real Zelda game, uh, was basically the sentiment. But I was really looking forward to it still, and I thought the art style made it even look better, so I, I was kind of super excited for it, all while most people were really concerned. And in fact, when Wind Waker first came out, that stigma st continued to take hold for years. So it was only, I think, even after the GameCube generation that it became more well-loved again, and part of that reason was because of the very unique art style. Up to that point, I don't believe we had seen much cel-shaded games, except for, I, I forget that if I'm going to get this name right, but I think there is something called cell damage, and that may have come before. But other than that, it was completely novel. And since then, games have come out every so often that seem to fall in line with this experimental style of art as the technology has enabled it. So things like Okami, and then right now, all the indie games that are on the Switch and PC and elsewhere, there's just countless numbers of amazing art, amazing games, and I, I just, for me, that's always been a primary, the primary component in my consideration of whether to buy a game or not. I don't know if it's my primary component in buying a game but it certainly attracts me towards a game for example splatoon and i can plug the website here videogameshowtime.com i just put an article up well at the time of recording uh about a week ago about splatoon 2 and the aesthetic how the aesthetic actually works to be a function of the game the gameplay is is very well the aesthetic if you think about the way that you paint the way that you jump the way that the clothes uh, actually give you power-ups 
this style becomes a dynamic part of the gameplay and that's one of the reasons i was really attract attracted to splatoon 2 and why i've absolutely fallen in love with it over the past month since playing the demo uh borderlands it's one of the reasons i want to play borderlands is just because of the unique atmosphere uh kirby that's a lot of why i love kirby is because of how light-hearted and colorful the environment is just how how pretty everything looks uh, especially kirby superstar allies it, it may not be the best kirby game but it's really fun and it's really pretty to look at and the environment's kind of the game kind of comes out of the environment where you have to move with it and that's another reason that the yoshi games uh specifically the very first snes yoshi's island was such a hit I even want to go back to the older, some first-person shooters. One of the things that made, for example, Modern Warfare 2 and Battlefield 3, and specifically, uh, stand out as some of the, as kind of the prime first-person shooters, um, and a little bit of nostalgia here, I played those a lot with friends, but those had a lot more colorful environments than recent Call of Duties or recent Battlefields have had uh they kind of shifted towards this gray scale to make everything darker and they lost the focus that a little bit of color and a little bit of that dynamic atmosphere can actually add a lot to a game and that a shooter doesn't have to take place in a dark world it can take place in very well our own world which is very colorful so yeah, so I really like to see how aesthetic functions in games and also how it can kind of be a very dynamic part of the gameplay. Yeah, I remember playing a lot of first-person shooter multiplayer local co-op when I was a kid, and I, I was never very good at them. It's difficult to understand what I was doing. The maps were confusing and everything seemed to look the same. And a lot of that was the technology available in the early 3D era. But when Team Fortress 2 came along, bundled in the orange box, it was like I suddenly understood the genre. And it was just mostly really smart design work around the characters, around the visuals, um, and around around the environments. Everything's coded really well, and a lot of it is is smart layout and things, but the um, visual design really helped that game be, be playable for me in a genre that I didn't understand before then. And Team Fortress 2 is, still holds a little special place in my heart for opening up that genre for me. But sometimes aesthetics, I think, for the sake of it, definitely draw me out of a game. I think the Yoshi series is quite a big culprit of this, actually, because in the first one, where it was all crayony, that made sense. It was a, it was like a prequel game for the Mario series. It was more childlike. The Yoshi's are purer, are a pure species. Um, they're protecting this baby and they're against Baby Bowser. It's all very cute, and that crayon look was gorgeous, and it worked well with that type of game. And then with the Yoshi story, with the pop-up book aesthetic, didn't look as good as the crayon one, but it sort of worked with what the game was trying to do. But then we get to Yoshi's Woolly World, and I really like that game, and I thought it was a lot of fun. But I, there's no reason for it to be war. Um, there's no story reason that everything's war. There's lots of cute little touches. The world itself is 
built with a lot of care, but it doesn't really have any effect on the gameplay and it doesn't make any sense for it to be worn. It, it's sort of off-putting a little bit throughout when you play the game. I think a unique aesthetic just for the sake of it doesn't always make sense. I would actually agree, and I think that's a really good point to make is so uh correct me if i'm wrong but what you're kind of going at is like the aesthetic has to almost in a way be all-encompassing and kind of have a purpose and be integrated in the different aspects of the game yeah absolutely i think um paper mario is an example of um a series it did it for some reason in the n64 one and it did it fine but Paper Mario The Thousand Year Door, the sequel, really takes that aesthetic and builds it into the gameplay and builds it into the story. And it's a really fun satire on how paper thin Mario's character actually is. That's that's fantastic, actually, uh, and a great way to put it. Yeah, I guess I'll just talk a little bit about one series I had on my mind when I was creating this topic to talk about is the Katamari Damacy series. For those of you who don't know, it was actually created by an artist. Um, I'm going to butcher his name because I don't speak Japanese, and I apologize for that. Uh, his name is Kaita Takahashi, and he was basically an artist, and he created this game for the sake of gaming. It's a very casual game, but it has a really unique aesthetic where everything's kind of blocky and almost organic feeling in that sense, and... It's an extremely vibrant world in these games. And I mean, everything is so weird and wild and out there. And it makes sense for the world because the story doesn't make much sense. There's like a black hole created in the universe. And you're this little prince of the cosmos with a bean-shaped head. And you have to go and roll things up with a sticky ball. The art direction almost makes this weird, wacky game so much more endearing because it's so much fun to go and see what you can roll up and the these environments are so dense and so fun to explore and one of my favorite game favorite aspects about this game is the soundtrack uh the soundtrack for the katamari damacy series is this equally vibrant fun j-pop inspired stuff with sometimes you get like these jazz influences it's basically like much like the world that you are rolling up around you it's just inspired by everything you can hear in the different parts of the world and it's just kind of this fun like little grab bag of poppy music that's great and catchy and i love the soundtrack for Katamari Damacy. It's the only vinyl I own because I'm weird like that. And uh, the vinyl cover is also really, really neat and features some gorgeous artwork. So yeah, that's a game I love the aesthetics for. Yeah, me too. So for talking a little bit more into the topic of aesthetics transferring into gameplay, Alec, I know you talked a little bit about Splatoon 2 and you plugged your article here. Uh, do you want to take us off? Yeah, I'll talk a little bit about how that, kind of how that works. And it was kind of uh, inspired by a quote from Splatoon 2's director, from Hisashi Nogami, the producer of Splatoon. 
quote, my approach is not just to create art, but to try and sense what a game's content and function demand from the art and create art that's in line with the game's particular needs, unquote. And he's actually, his first credit work is with Yoshi's Island, and that was kind of that philosophy is inspired by Yoshi's Island. And so not all games, and I bring this up, not all games are going to rely on on the aesthetic to be part of the gameplay however one of the things that is important is that it at minimum sets the tone if you look at dark souls or doom the aesthetic sets the tone for the game doom everything you have the flashing lights you're going through hell there's fire there's demons you know what you're getting into so you're prepared for it Dark Souls is another game that does a good job of that really really literal grayscale and just kind of this impending dark world of doom that you have to fight your way through, and it's near impossible to fight your way through. So in most games, and Nintendo is, I love Nintendo, and they are one of the best at doing this. Um, there Now, there are some games that are not the best at doing, doing this, and I kind of want to give some examples just so that we kind of get a sense of where i'm going with this uh, i just started to play the witness last night and i really like the environment don't get me wrong it's beautiful to look at however in a puzzle environment i almost feel like it should be a sci-fi setting the environment you know it's hard to make the the puzzles uh really stand out but i'm just kind of confused by the whole thing and that just might might be my liking of sci-fi another game and this might be a bit controversial because uh, this is a nintendo game but arms i've uh, now i don't own arms i've only played the test demos when they've came come out but there's a bit of a lap before me between what the game was it was a fighting game and the aesthetic of being very light-hearted and almost comical now the nintendo does, again nintendo pulls this off with a shooter being splatoon with being very light-hearted however it just doesn't work for me in arms it works for the characters and kind of how weird it is but there's just something off if you look at other fighting games such as super smash brothers that series does a good job of kind of toning each character so that they're the same they stick to who they are but at the same time they kind of take on more of this more of a serious form of themselves if that makes any sense it fits for a fighting game if you look most fighting games do this very well the classic street fighters did a really good job of not going over the top but sticking to this this 16 bit and setting the tone for a fighting game and, and this is another thing that i kind of want to go into talking about is right now we see a lot of indie games that are sticking to this snes 16 bit graphic style i think i got that right um am i using the right terms there yeah good and i don't and it works for most games but sometimes i think some indie games are just using that for the sake of nostalgia or just and sometimes i get it you don't have and I, i'm not a graphic artist at 
all so i could be wrong that 16-bit just takes as much work as 3d and i know that sometimes you don't have the capacity to do more than 2d so you try to make the 2d look as neat as possible sometimes i feel like it's a popular niche to just do that right now and it kind of is holding some games back yeah there's a lot of indie games that are just like these this 2d platformer style with which is just done for the sake of it. There's no need for it to look retro apart from what appears to be laziness. Whereas something like Shovel Knight, for example, which does use that old NES aesthetic, but it is games how you remember them, not how they actually were. It doesn't use that um, limitations. It uses the full cap. I think they say that they use the full capabilities of the NES if it wasn't hindered or something like that to design that world and it looks really good because of it with arms i think you're right i love the idea of arms and i love the slower defensive um tactical gameplay that it it tries to do but at the end of the day it's a fighting game and it doesn't feel very violent with these long stretchy arms there's no you don't see the impact because your opponent is so far away you don't feel the impact it just doesn't connect with you and i think that's important for a fighting game even if it's slapstick violence even if it's funny and silly like super smash brothers it's still violent you wouldn't want a falcon punch to the face i think i could take a springy boxing glove (laughs) honestly even as a bit of a wimp i think somebody with noodle arms can't hurt me that well especially (laughs) in that universe and i think that's important for a fighting game i actually yeah you guys are bringing up fantastic points uh especially with the fighting game genre and the 16-bit i just want to talk um real quick because about 16-bit because even though you know a lot of indie devs and even you know some triple a games still go with the uh pixel art style Um, A game, in my opinion, that actually pulled this off by going a little bit of a different route was Octopath Traveler, where we have these extremely beautiful pixel art with, like, these 3D kind of environments that you travel in as a 2D sprite. Uh, And the gameplay, though, is kind of your typical turn-based JRPG, though. Which, I guess, does kind of work for the pixel art style, as it goes for that kind of retro Final Fantasy-esque feel from the SNES era. But, that being said, the environments are absolutely gorgeous, and I think even rival some 3D games in that aspect. Very, very well done pixel art in that aspect. Yeah, I love Octopath Traveler. The, the environments are very good and they're very impressive once you start the game uh, and the music is gorgeous and they do the villages do a really good job of tying into the characters and each village really builds each character and I know the story is kind of a knock on the game but there's a little bit of that inference that the story is not just in what the game tells you in the text. There's more to it that's in the art, and that's one of the reasons I like it. Did you beat The Witness, by the way? No, I just started last night, so I'm not very far, and I I wanted to get a little bit farther last night, but then I'm like, oh my gosh, 
I'm really bad at puzzles and I need to get better at this. It's really fun. I'm curious though. if your opinion changes as you get further into the game. And that's all I will say on that. So one quick title I actually want to bring up. Have you guys, has anyone else in chat, I know you have, Alec, played Kirby's Epic Yarn? Yes. Okay. This is actually a game I think the aesthetics didn't really work for. Because even though the game world is very well integrated with the yarn, crafty, fabric-y feel, it doesn't work as a Kirby game. Uh, one of Kirby's... Two of Kirby's abilities that have been through the entire ser series and are pretty important to the gameplay and making it fun is Kirby's floating ability and Kirby's ability to swallow and copy enemies. Both of these abilities were basically taken out of the game. So is Kirby's Epic Yarn really even a Kirby game? Or is it just like a game that they kind of, you know slapped Kirby on because they're like, oh, we have this goofy gimmick and we need someone to fill the slot, and yeah, I guess we got Kirby over here. I mean, can I come out and say I just think Kirby's Epic Yarn looks kind of ugly? Yes, actually, I don't like Kirby's Epic Yarn. I thought the game was pretty dull. Yeah, Woody World is beautiful. Even though I don't think the it works with the gameplay, at least it's beautiful enough that it saves it. Whereas Epic Yarn... I, I enjoy the game for what it is. I don't f rate it very highly, but it doesn't look very nice, in my opinion. Um, it does some interesting things in some of the later levels of the game, but just in general, it, it generally it looks too bland. Novel doesn't necessarily mean interesting. It's kind of interesting, because in my opinion, this game did not age well, and that's something that's odd to say about a Wii generation game, that it hasn't aged well, especially with the unique aesthetic, because I mean, I think one of the main reasons it hasn't aged particularly gracefully is because we now have games like uh, Yoshi's Woolly World and Crafted World, which both look great and way better than this one. Obviously, they're newer generation, but I mean, the Wii could have used those vibrant and gorgeous colors that Yoshi's wor uh, Yoshi's Woolly World does. Yeah, do, do we know if it looks any better on 3DS? I'm not sure. Maybe I'll get it on 3DS. Maybe it'll suit 3DS better. Uh, definitely it being an, a CRT era sort of game in an age where we all had HD TVs at this point. Doesn't do it any favors. So I just, one last thing before we wrap up, I just went on to YouTube to see if, uh, to just look at some Kirby Epic Yarn video on 3DS, and I just saw another game that came up in the recommendations, Skyrim. I don't like the Elder Scrolls aesthetic at all. It is way too dark and grayscale, and I know they have to build a big world, but... I feel like there's so much more you can do. If you've ever read Lord of the Rings, which is one of my favorite books, you know that these fantasy worlds... Uh, and Lord of the Rings, you know, ruins everything else because it sets, Tolkien sets such a high standard for how he describes the worlds. But Skyrim just feels so bloody bland to me. Uh, yeah, I just had to get that. I just had to say that. We could contrast with Breath of the Wild, um, Skyrim... 
because Breath of the Wild is so pretty and it's still an open world game, but it wasn't dreary at all. Breath of the Wild is incredible. And that yeah. is definitely down to its visual design. It's a reward in its own self, just climbing a mountain and looking at the view that you're given. And no matter where you look, there's, I don't know, the rich tapestry of color is really evident in all the different regions of the game especially. There is a definite colored contrast between the between the different regions. So you see a very distinctive white, a very distinctive red, and um, I guess you could call the desert area yellow, and, and a vibrant green, a beautiful ocean blue around um, around the islands areas and the beach areas and i don't know that somehow it's just extremely colorful and that that really is in contrast with a lot of open world games the only other game i can think of that's that you could say that about is like world of warcraft which is a totally different (laughs) art style and but but yet um it's also similar in that respect because most it just seems like when you go for the more predominant 3D art style that most of the games in any given generation use, somehow that tends to be a little blander in color. At least at least older generation open world games like Skyrim. Well, I think maybe to wrap up, do we have any favorite sort of brown games? Do we have any bland games where we think that works and complements the gameplay? Honestly, most of those quote-unquote, you know, brown games have actually turned me off. I'm, I really didn't like first-person shooters until I played Borderlands 2, which is my favorite first-person shooter of all time, because it was dry, and there was nothing unique about diving into the world of Call of Duty, and there wasn't anything I could grasp onto, kind of like you were saying earlier. Borderlands 2 with its unique, weird, goofy comic book world, really let me grab onto things and, like, kind of figure out how to play. I really like, and this, again, I said this earlier, but this is a bit of nostalgia, but also I really like what Modern Warfare 2 and Battlefield 3 did with their color. Yes, it was more grayscale, but there's just enough that let it speak to the environment at hand and it's kind of hard to describe unless you go in but I remember each of the maps just having a unique enough environments and especially in Battlefield 3 where you have these large environments there's just enough changing in the lighting and the texture of the different corridors and when you're outside and especially when you would go to like the snowier maps that it was just it was just enough to be fun and different. I think the I think Resident Evil Four, which is a game I played when it came out and then I didn't play again, but I loved that first playthrough and I'm, I want to revisit it one day. But that that's quite a brown game, which definitely suits the zombie zombie narrative. The Batman games, um, the Arkham trilogy in particular. These are very dark games, especially for a comic book superhero kind of thing. And I know that's that's Batman, and these these darknesses are interjected with the the, the chaotic colors of Joker and Harley Quinn. But yeah, it's definitely hard to think of a memorable 
aesthetic. Mike, do you have a favorite brown game? You know, I've been trying to think about this, but <laughs> evidently this is an area where I need to explore things more because I can't really think of any game. Like, except for I do know of Gunman and Clive, but I haven't played it yet, so I can't speak much to that. So at this point, I haven't played enough brown games, unfortunately. Rockstar does a good job of avoiding the brown tropes, considering how highly su successful they are. They've got a conventional art style, they just try and make things look realistic, but even still their games are quite visually distinctive, I find. Is that fair? You're more the expert on that realm, Mike. Yeah, I mean, I do think that's fair, because if you think of Red Dead Redemption or Red Dead Revolver, those are in the very brown places when you think of just the aesthetics of the desert, and yet somehow it's a little more vibrant than that. But if you wanted to include those games in the brown category, then I suppose you could, a lot of people would be able to speak to a game that um, still compelled them. But I, I think it's a little more colorful than that. There's a certain blandness to the brown games that I think that I don't believe Red Dead Redemption has. And then, yeah, obviously when you think of the Grand Theft Auto series, which I've played through extensively, it it's very colorful games, and I they do a really good job at, at making the Grand Theft Auto world actually kind of vibrant, if anything. So, so yeah, Rockstar does an extremely good job at um, making their art style um, a wide palette even when we're dealing with even when we're dealing with our cowboy games that's about all we've got time for on this episode of video game showtime thank you for joining us you can check out more of our work including that article by alec at videogameshowtime.com music for this episode was provided by hinchy who did the intro and outro music you can find her at hinchy.us and the game show music was provided by the musical ghost on youtube find a link to that in our show notes at videogameshowtime.com I've been Sam, joined with Mike, Sarah and Alec, thank you for listening Well, since we do a lot of our own advertising for the games that we make, we're going to launch our own game right now. So this week, I was not very creative. Huh? I ran the game this week. Sorry, what? <laughs> what? I d I d sorry, I don't understand what you just said. That's okay. That's perfectly fine. It was a bad transition. It was a bad radio transition. It's the one thing you learn from doing radio, how to do bad transitions. <laughs> sorry for interrupting i just i didn't have a clue what you meant advertising our own games what that it's okay it we, okay it, should, should i it was probably it, let's try it again probably, shall we? yeah it probably sounds better in my head <laughs>